0: Hello and welcome to this week's Hong Kong Heritage. We're marking 95 years of RTHK throughout June and the next two programmes I'm calling People and Places as I continue my look back at some of the reel-to-reel recordings in the library but also hear about the live back-to-studio recordings that were done in resettlement estates in the 1970s to get our radio station to appeal
1: to a younger audience. I started founding all these reaching out functions with all the rock musicians doing shows once, two nights in the Reset Settlement Estates.
0: We'll also be going to the opening of the Cross Harbour Tunnel in 1972.
2: Good evening to you from 90 feet below water in the middle of the harbour.
0: And hearing a recollection of martial arts icon Bruce Lee's funeral. He died 50 years ago this year.
3: First of all, as another amazing fact in my life, probably one of the most amazing facts, is that the first dead person I ever saw was Bruce Lee.
0: But first, former Deputy Director of Broadcasting, Tai Kin Man, tells me about a very talented voice artist who was on Radio Hong Kong in the 1950s, Chung Wai Ming. Like Liam Orr, oh, who joined George Ho at commercial radio, as we'll hear now, Chung Wai Ming was capable of telling a story
4: while producing the voices of multiple characters. We have Mr Chung Weiming, who works in rhk He also started his career in late forties and early fifties. Another veteran artist, is uncle Ray. He also started his career, a radio career in late forties and early fifties. So Late 40s and early 50s, certainly because of the increase in the radio populations, audience populations. There's a huge demand of good radio presenter and radio artists. So, with Chung wai Ming, what kind of style is he at the end of the 1940s? He, mainly, he's uh, an announcer, and also a drama artist. Yeah, and uh, he because he's a very good voice, and uh, you know, in in Cantonese. We mainly broadcast in Cantonese. Cantonese is we need to have a very good pronunciation. One of his success is a, what we call is a one-man drama show. He performed all the roles, a, a child, as a lady, as a parent, as as an old guy, you know. Zhong Wai Ming as, as a child, Zhong Wai Ming as a lady, Zhong Wai Ming as a old elderly people. <laughs> so, for example, one of the most favourite... Uh, Character that uh, Mr. Zhong performed is the Kung Fu star, Wang Fei Hong. All the sound effects were produced at location. When we make the recording, they're using a lot of different techniques to create the sound. Actually, in the 50, we opened up a lot of different dialects, such as uh, Chiu Chao, Fukin, uh, Mandarin, including Cantonese, at least four dialects, sometimes maybe even. Some of some minor surface for some other dialects, but so this is really to cater to the refugees coming in. Yeah, yeah, those those are very important you know, because uh, most of them coming from the north, they they may not know all those local Cantonese dialect. Yeah, because mm, I mean, what, what was Li ka Shing? <laughs> so he he's from Chiu <laughs> And also at that time there, we also had some programs in Shanghainese yeah, So so people from Shanghai uh, That's don't, quite, yeah. quite demanding
0: to, to So you would have had to have yeah. kind of program heads in a sense For these different dialects yeah, but,
4: but you know radio, we need to respond to the community mm. The needs of the communities. That's why we, we, we launched all those uh, new services Yeah
0: on February the 6th, 1956, British composer Benjamin Britten and English tenor Peter Pierce performed a recital at a Radio Hong Kong studio.
5: We are starting our recital with two songs by Joseph Haydn. They are two of the English canzonets which Haydn wrote after one of his visits to London. He in fact wrote two sets of six and the words uh, are by a friend of his, uh, Anne Hunter. The first is called The Sailor's Song. Rushing blast, he careless whistles to the gale Rattling ropes and rolling seas. Hurley, 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 No, no death. Can him displease, can him displease Honey, 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 honey. No death, can him displease, can him displease, can him displease.
0: Former Deputy Director of Broadcasting Tai Kin Man there, who we'll hear again from later in the programme. In 1972, the Cross Harbor Tunnel was opened, and then Radio Hong Kong was there to report. I travel regularly through that tunnel and I've always had respect for the engineers who can pull off such a feat. So here's an excerpt from the opening.
2: Good evening to you from 90 feet below water in the middle of the harbor. I'm standing about 20 feet away from a curtain which has been erected across the center of the tunnel in the easternmost of the two tubes and uh, a very colorful sight in fact red satin with the Cross Harbour Tunnel in English in yellow, and in white Chinese characters the same words. There's an enormous crowd here now, people have just been coming down from the entrance to the tunnel at the Kowloon end, where His Excellency a few moments ago arrived, and is now inspecting the administration building. As I stand here, to my left, beyond the television arc light and television cameras, As I look along towards the Kowloon end of the tube, all parallel lines appear to uh, to converge to a point, and just before they do, the road suddenly disappears very, very steeply up towards the surface. Along the center of the tunnel roof, there are fluorescent lights, and either side of these, at intervals of about 100 yards, are red signal lights, red in both lanes at the moment. The two lanes in each tunnel, by the way, and the red, red or green light above the lane indicates which lane to use. There's also an amber flashing light which of course is turned off at the moment to indicate that you should proceed with caution. If you have just arrived in Hong Kong you may wonder just how long this harbour tunnel must have taken to build. Uh, well in fact it took an amazingly short time. Work was commenced just under three years ago. Uh, in fact the first suggestion that we should have a uh, road across the harbour was made by the Harbour Master Commander Murray Ramsey in 1902 and it wasn't until 1966 that the harbour seabed was tested with the uh, idea of building a tunnel. Uh, two years later, 1968, in intensive discussions and negotiations started. The go-ahead was given and work started in September 1969 and just 13 months later the first tunnel cube unit was launched. I'm standing inside one of these now. Uh, the units were between 320 and 370 feet long each, and these were made up in pairs, parallel, side by side, and were towed out into the harbour, having been sealed at each end, and then sunk into position, uh, having been coated with 18 inches of concrete, and then the roadway and the internal walls and ceiling were built inside the two. Uh, in fact, it's... Just a few months, uh, the 20th of February this year was the date when the final bulkhead between the last unit to be laid and the preceding unit was removed, and the company directors were able to walk through from one side of the harbour to the other for the very first time. The crowd around here now is increasing enormously. There's an area of, I suppose, uh, 40 feet by just over 20 feet, where the official guests are standing. And now Mr. John Martin has just arrived on the platform and is about to introduce His Excellency the Governor.
3: Your Excellencies, ladies and gentlemen, there have been many instances during the life of this project when we have gathered together to celebrate attaining a further step, bringing us nearer the eventual day when vehicular traffic would move without hindrance across the harbour.
0: In 1973, martial arts icon and actor Bruce Lee was reaching the pinnacle of his career when he died at the age of just 32. Here's an excerpt from an interview with Bruce Lee, conducted by RTHK's Ted Thomas.
6: How much of your screen personality is really you? I mean, you teach martial arts, so you're obviously very good at it. But of course, teachers are not always the best exponents or practitioners. Right. Uh, are you able to take care of yourself, would you say? I will answer this, first of all, with a joke, if you don't mind. Oftentimes people come up and say, Hey, Bruce, are you really that good? I said, well, if I tell you I'm good, probably you will say I'm boasting. But if I tell you I'm no good, you know I'm lying. <laughs> but, all right, going back to be truthful with you. Let's just put it this way. I have no fear of opponent in front of me, that I am very self-sufficient, that they do not bother me, and that should I fight, should I do anything, I have made up my mind, and that's it, baby, you better kill me before. Bruce, in The Big Boss, you play a man who is very slow to anger, a yes. shy, diffident, uh, you even stay out of fights in the early scenes because of a promise you made to your mother. Yes. Um, is that a little bit like you, or is this just a screen personality? Uh, this is definitely a screen personality, because uh, as a person, one thing that I have definitely learned, and my life, it seems like, is a, it's a, it's a life of self-examination and self-peeling of myself bit by bit day by day is that i do have a bad temper <laughs> a violent temper in fact <laughs> uh, so that is definitely i mean some people that i am portraying you know not bruce lee as he is
0: in Bazzario, and dj andrew bull was just a teenager when he joined then radio hong kong in 1970 his father was an army chaplain but when his own family left andrew decided to stay on in hong kong Here, he gives an introduction to the kind of work he would start out doing at the radio station. One of his earliest assignments would be the funeral of Bruce Lee.
3: The first thing they did was actually base me at the airport. I used to sit at the airport and VIP arrivals were a big news event. And there was like a VIP lady. So when such and such a dignitary would arrive from England, You'd cover it. So I was at the airport, sort of. It was like so-and-so arrived in Hong Kong today, you know, because it was a big thing. I would also get the short straw when it came to typhoons, and the station had a, a Land Rover with a radio phone in it, and I'd be down at the Star Ferry, you know, in the southwester. Looks like the Star Ferry has been suspended. <laughs>
0: How did you do with that, though? Did you yeah. have to record it and then bring it back, or did you say it over the phone, or...?
3: well you might you, you might you'll take your tape recorder with you i mean the the land rover had a radio phone in it so if it was like of critical importance you'd use the phone like i think i used the phone when godber was being arrested the icac i was i was on that one i, I but usually you would do a bit of a vox pop you'd uh, like uh, you like for example if uh, if uh, if someone had been crushed by heavy equipment in a, in, a, in a construction site. You would then speak to the fire chiefs, so, or well, what's the situation here, officer? You know, And then you'd get a few words. Godba was one of my stories, but my, my most amazing assignment was to cover Bruce Lee's funeral for Radio Hong Kong. I don't know if there's a tape of that in the archives. First of all, as another amazing fact in my life. Probably one of the most amazing facts is that the first dead person I ever saw was Bruce Lee, because it was an open casket, and I was only 17 or something, and I'd never seen a dead body before. So the first dead person I ever saw was Bruce Lee.
0: What did he look like?
3: Pretty much Bruce Lee, because he wasn't—he didn't die of a horrendous injury or anything. He looked normal, just like asleep. Because I knew—I knew him when he was alive. I mean, because I used to work at Golden Harvest Studios for Andre Morgan, who uh, produced all the, the Bruce Lee movies. Uh, I used to work as a synopsis writer in, in my spare time. Because when you went to the movies in those days, they'd give you a piece of paper sponsored by 7-Up in, in purple ink, which gave you the synopsis of the movie in English and Chinese, and I wrote the one in English. So I, I'd seen him a- around the lot at Golden Harvest. But there he was. So the funeral was incredible. Open casket, people going around, huge crowds, not, you know Chinese sort of oboe Funeral music
0: yeah so where did it take place with,
3: in Mongkok some kind of uh, Mongkok uh, funeral parlor
0: so in terms of who was there and
3: then well I mean I mean all his family I mean the who's who of Hong Kong entertainment you know all of the superstars of the day and obviously the the boss of Golden Harvest Raymond Chow leading the mourners and it was such an epic moment for Hong Kong. The swirling crowd, you could see that they, it was like uh, Bob Marley or Elvis had died. It was like, or, or Princess Diana. There was outpourings of grief from the Chinese population of Hong Kong on an epic scale. Raymond
0: Umsek Sek fai who helped found Radio 2 and is a former director of broadcasting, was assigned with the task of ensuring in the 1970s that Radio 2 appealed to a younger audience when the radio station was split up into radio stations one to four.
1: At that time, we were competing fiercely with commercial radio. I got a very fierce competitor over there called Winnie Yu. She was in charge of commercial radio. I I mean, I was in charge of uh, radio two here. So it really made the whole industry work fiercely but warmly. So my motto at that time is that we must work hard to win the battle. That's all. And did you? I think we are equal up till this day. You were also a DJ? I was the first batch DJ here in Hong Kong.
0: So, I mean, the concept of DJ was really new at that point.
1: Really novel to everybody. And I translate the, the DJ term into Chinese as some somebody who can write on music.
0: And what, what is that in Chinese?
1: Chang Pin Ke
0: And your first program, what was your first program? Pin Ke That's what he called it, the
1: actual yeah. DJ. I'll give, give you this joke. Uh, at that time, we, we had a radio controller who came from Britain, uh, from commercial uh, radio. One day, he told me, Raymond, I want you to host a program. Uh, and I said, because at that time, I really did not want to host any program. I really wanted to save all the airtime for my DJs. But he said... You what,
0: were you shy? Or-?
1: No, no, no. I'm, I, I was not shy. I, because airtime at that time was really precious. We had so little airtime. And I want, wanted them to be trained quickly. So I said, uh, what if I don't do it? Will you find me? He said, yes. <laughs> <laughs> so I did it.
0: And what year was that?
1: 1978 or
0: 79. Do you remember your first time on air?
1: My first time on air was early, much earlier because I was starting a youth program back in 1976. But as a DJ program pioneer, I started off that program two years later. Around 78 or 79.
0: When you remember your first programme, was, was that...?
1: Uh... Oh, OK, I played only English songs. My signature tune was Earth, Wind and Fire. And then I played all the Billy Joe. <laughs>
5: uh,
1: Elton John... And uh, all the black music, uh, Chicago, and so on and so forth.
0: And why did you opt for that?
1: I like it. <laughs> that's the, that's my music, my best kind of music. What do you think is, is the sign of a good DJ? We must always go to the record library and audition music. That's one thing. And then you have to be very choosy with your ears. Thirdly... When you write over your music, you must not kill your song because you must not overlap the intro. You have to stop right at the moment the singer or the band starts singing. That's all. It's easy yet difficult.
0: And so you would be, uh, between songs, informing a Hong Kong audience, probably about bands sometimes that they hadn't heard?
1: Uh, Yeah, at times. Like, for instance, police in the early days and also Jeffro Tao maybe at times They are not difficult to listen, but they are not ordinary pop. I sometimes want to uplift a little bit of our audience listening standard and intelligence.
0: So that was within the studio. Were you then involved also in outdoor broadcasts?
1: Of course. I started founding all this reaching out functions with all the rock musicians doing shows once, two nights, in the resettlement resett estates back in the 70s, with them singing on the smoke on the water, stairway to heaven, and so on. So you go out with a recording yeah, crew? No, re- no recording no. crew. Live band.
0: Yeah, but what I mean is, you would record them in the resettlement estates, or?
1: I'm not recording them. We did live shows, I'm not broadcasting back. But I went to nightclubs like Mo Campbell in Central and recorded the winners. The Quest, Eddie Cast, and so on and so forth. And I brought them back for uh, live broadcast.
0: And it would have all been real to real? Yeah. Uh, describe a bit more about the resettlement estates. You would go out and this would, the idea and was... And
1: all, all the old guys threw down uh, all the shit onto us because we were disturbing them at night from 8 to 9.30 and they did not know smoke on the water. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Was to encourage local youth. Yeah. And what? To stop them going into crime and drugs, but of to course. do music. Yeah,
1: that sort of thing. That's the, the reason the government gave us some money to promote pop concerts in resettlement areas. <laughs> but that's, that's, a, that's a contradiction, you know. <laughs> All the resettlement areas and estates have old guys mostly. But <laughs> I, I have to sue the young guys.
0: And so, um, but they, they would have the instruments themselves or you would take them out? No, them? We,
1: we, we do everything.
0: You would go out and perform for them or you would perform get them... Perform for them. Oh, I see.
1: Perform for them. All the top musicians these days were with me as my students back in the 70s. So
0: how would you wire up? I mean, you'd arrive in a van with all these...
1: Yeah, 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 true.
0: And, and, but I mean, how, we, where did we, you plug we, into We
1: We had a contractor who um, was in charge of everything, uh, all the musical instruments, all the PA systems, and the electricity supply, of course, by uh, the Urban Council then.
0: And where were these resettlement estates?
1: All through Hong Kong and Kowloon, Yunlong, everywhere. We went everywhere to do all kinds of shows twice a week.
0: Operation Santa Claus has been going strong for decades, a charity campaign in the weeks leading up to Christmas, which has raised millions of dollars for good causes. But Operation Santa Claus had a predecessor with the same name. Here's former director of broadcasting, Tykin Mannigan.
4: It is a very amazing program. Yeah, it's a very important project to me. I think it's a fresh project of the English programming. But actually, when it starts using the, the term Operation Santa Claus, it is a joint effort between the Chinese program and English program. Uh, now we are sitting in Tsim uh, Sha you know, at that time. In the mid-60s, we have the Operation Santa Claus during the Christmas time. It is a fundraising event, you know, ask the callers to call in, to donate money. And uh, they organize a uh, lot of uh, charity events, such as charity dance or that sort of thing. At that time, they have some sort of a song dedications. I have a song dedicated to who, and then I will pay a certain amount of money. And it generated lots of publicity and did raise a lot of money. One of the interesting features when they promote the programs, they even have a floating studio in Victoria Harbour with a Christmas tree
5: <laughs> on
0: a on the,
4: on the, on the floating studio. So yeah, how so do you mean?
0: It was a sort of a studio on a boat?
4: It is actually a, a, a live broadcasting prawn. Instead of sitting in a studio, and also at that time, when the donation amount of money is high enough, one of our you know, senior program staff, a senior program manager, will jump to the Victoria Harbour. <laughs>
5: <laughs>
0: yeah,
4: so, so when was this? Oh, that was in the mid-60s. Sometime in the 70s, it gradually phased out and then it come back again in the 80s. At that time, it's uh, mainly organized by the English programming, uh, that means Radio Free. And also, we've joined collaboration with uh, South China Morning Post. Yeah, that was uh, coming in, in, in the late 80s.
0: Former Deputy Director of Broadcasting, Taikin Man, there. In his book, All the Way with Ray. The late and much-missed DJ Uncle Ray writes about how he jumped into the harbour for Operation Santa Claus and actually the water was freezing and it was a pretty unpleasant experience. Next week, I'm back with the places and personalities to mark the 95th anniversary of RTHK. And what would RTHK have been without Uncle Ray joining as Head of Light Entertainment in 1960? So join me next week for a celebration of DJs and presenters. Uncle Ray, Aileen Woods. Well, we left England in 1911, coronation year of uh, King George V and Queen Mary. Our last appearance in England was at the Crystal Palace when my two sisters and I were models, strange as it may seem. It was the first time that um, they ever had uh, a proper stage setting. And we had Lucille gowns and wore sand corsets and um, really beautiful clothes. And we were there for several weeks at the Crystal Palace in 1911. And then in November, I think it was, or October, we went to the United States. Jonathan Douglas and the very original, I am an actor, Ralph Pixton. Does he know I'm here? Yes, I told him.
2: That's going to make things a whole lot easier. You needn't be frightened. He won't hurt you. If he comes near me, I'll scream the place down. Does Sybil know I'm here? No, I pretended I had a presentiment. I tried terribly hard to persuade her to leave for Paris.
0: I tried too. It's lucky we didn't both succeed, isn't it? Otherwise we should probably all have joined up in Rouen or somewhere.
2: In some frowsy little hotel.
0: (laughs) Oh dear, it would have been much, much worse.
2: I can see us all
0: sailing down in the morning for an early start. Among other radio personalities that have been on the air at RTHK. Raymond Um also tells of his friendship with the extraordinary Anita Moy.
1: My wife Blanche Tang was the number one DJ here in RTHK, and she was hosting a very popular program in the 80s. All the top stars came here to be interviewed late night Anita Mui, Leslie Cheng, Danny Chen, Jackie Cheng. Ellen Tam. All the big names voluntarily came here to be interviewed. And that show was a big, big success.
0: Thanks for listening and join me next week on Hong Kong Heritage.